I don't have any opening thing because it's a fucking silent movie. Okay. What the fuck are we supposed well, to do with a then, fucking silent movie where there's no dialogue for us to do? God damn it. Then let's just jump right into it. Let's improv a scene. Knock, knock, knock. You Here, you be Charlie Chaplin. Knock, knock, knock. Yes, hello. Hello, I have a delivery of the children you wish to fuck, Mr. Chaplin, you perverted freak. Oh, excellent. Right this way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I'm Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, it has a great reputation, and I'm going to disappoint Steve. Skip to the end to find out how. (laughs) You might not need to skip to the end. You might find out fairly soon that Jason has a contrary opinion to everybody, Orson Welles. Who else loves this fucking thing? Everybody. Um, Oh, I'm going to name some people. Don't worry. I'm going to name some people. Every. Oh, are you? I'm I'm going to name some people that love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to make you look like a fool. Fine, fine, Daniel. Make me look like a fool. <laughs> oh, zh, 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 zh. All right, Steve, that's it. It's, what movie are we going to be reviewing this time around? What mm. what fucking silent when the shouldn't have been... What what are uh-huh. we doing? What are we doing? What is it? Tell them. City Lights. City Lights. City that's Lights. right, by Charlie Chaplin. You all know Charlie Chaplin, and he's a little tramp. Have any of you seen his movies? Probably not. Anyway, hey, Steve. Yes, my friend. Hey, Steve. Yes, Jason. I don't know why I'm asking. Do you have any trivia? I do have some trivia. For City Lights? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I just so happen to have several pieces of fascinating trivia in my notes for this show. Yeah. Great. Is it about the 2,000-plus women that he probably raped? I mean, had sex with? No, but that is a thing that oh, we darn. all have to deal with if we are fans of <laughs> Charlie Chaplin. No, that you have to deal with. Well, you have that to deal I with. I have to deal with, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, nothing about it. that. Let but, me but hear it. Yes, okay. Well, since you brought Give it up. Give me the trivia. Since, yeah. since you brought it up. Um, okay. This is, this, first of all, it's Charlie Chaplin's favorite of all his films. Is it? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, okay. it is. It is also, as you pointed out, it is also Orson Welles' favorite film, or yeah. or was, because, you know, he's dead, so he doesn't have a favorite. He's dead now. He doesn't have dead. a favorite anything. He doesn't have a favorite anything. Uh, it's also, it was also the favorite film of Andrei Tarkovsky, the great Russian director. Mm-hmm. It was also the favorite film of the great French director, Robert Bresson. Yay. It was also one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films. Of course it was. So, you know... If you're someone who doesn't, that means it's good, right? If you're someone who doesn't like it, I guess you must know better than those people when it comes to judging oh, no, great it films. Could I guess, be a matter of personal preference. I, I guess you must think you're pretty hot shit. If I know I'm pretty hot <laughs> shit, goddammit. You didn't name a single name that impressed me at all. Orson Welles, give me a break. <laughs> Fuck Orson Welles. What did he ever do? Stanley Kubrick. All of them had problems. Every single one of them. Piece of shit. They just said City Lights because they were put on the spot. Name one of your favorite movies. Uh, City Lights? What's the Chaplin one with the blind chick? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one. Sure, everybody likes that one. Whatever. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Great. Any more more trivia? Yes, 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 indeed. Uh, So, technically, technically this is Chaplin's first sound film. Um, It's usually categorized as a silent film because that's how it's presented. But you're lying. No, uh, but it's okay. No, it's a sound. It's a sound movie because it has. It a, isn't. Yes, it is. It has a synchronized soundtrack. That's what a talkie yeah. is. It has a synchronized soundtrack. 
um, that mostly they call it a talkie, even though there's no talking. There's in it? no actual talking in it. There's like that sort of you know, blah, 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 like the Peanuts parents like talking yeah. at the beginning, which is Chaplin like doing we're that children. Voice. Yeah, which, like we're idiots. Yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> Chaplin. That's Chaplin being a little bit satirical. Um, oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, so and the soundtrack consists mostly of the score that Chaplin wrote and some sound effects. Um, and and his next movie, uh, Modern Times, was the same way. Like it was, it was, it had a synchronized soundtrack, mm-hmm. but it was presented as a silent movie. And then because it, he just wasn't going to w- look and watch where the movie industry was going. Well, I mean, he was very slow. That's 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 part of the that's part of the the thing. Um, he was very slow to transition to talkies. Um, mm-hmm. It took him some time to warm up to the idea. He once characterized adding sound to movies as being the same thing as painting a statue. Um, and, and that bit at the beginning in the first scene when the people are giving the speech and it's just squawking, um, that is Chaplin mm-hmm. sort of making fun of the idea of, of talking pictures, you know, of saying like, this is what it's like. Like he's being a little petty and, you know, making So fun not, not as much of a genius as everyone makes him out to be. Well, I mean... I wouldn't say that. I would say he's... More like a petulant child who's upset or he's just, that the medium is moving on without him. He's just poking a little fun. He's just having a little fun, you know. How long did it take for him to put actual dialogue into his films? Uh, 1940. <laughs> the Great Dictator, wow. 1940. So how many years had we had talkies by that point? 13. 13 the, years. the jazz singer was 27, yeah. Yep. 13 years. Okay. All right. Yep. Great. Yep. Whatever. He's a genius. Keep going. He is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it, despite being a genius, um, he was an ex- an extremely controlling director, going so far as to act out a scene himself and then direct his actors to do it the way he'd just done it, which would, yep. would be almost unthinkable to modern day filmmakers and was not done by most filmmakers back then either. Like it was, you know, no. no, most directors would never even attempt that. Like, just do it this way here. And they would just act it out. He did that all the time. Mm-hmm. And he was especially hard on Virginia Cheryl, who plays the flower girl. Um, and there was this one time where Virginia Cheryl was late to set and Chaplin was, you know, furious at her for having been kept waiting and he fired her Mm -hmm. and he was intending to recast her and just reshoot the movie with another actress. But he realized that he had already shot so much of it that it would be too expensive to go back and do a complete reshoot. So Virginia Cheryl agreed to come back to work, but she insisted on being paid double her original salary for the rest of the production. Well, go for her. And Chaplin had no choice but to say yes, because he had Mm -hmm. no choice, because he had already shot so much of the movie with her. So she got, you know... he's a big dick, and he (laughs) he says says things without thinking about them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, okay. uh, The film's Hollywood premiere was attended by Albert Einstein. Good for him. Isn't that neat? Who gives a shit? Albert Einstein was... Uh, and, Yay, he and saw movies. He Apparently, he liked movies as well as, like, you know, doing smart guy mm-hmm. stuff. They put it on the poster with a little cartoon of Albert saying, it's Albert's favorite. Exactly. Yes. E equals MC funny. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't a very good movie critic, Albert Einstein. Like, he was good at certain things, but not mm-hmm. film analysis. And one last bit of trivia that I know you're going to love because I know you love Chaplin and I know you love this movie. <laughs> in 1972, City Lights was screened as part of a tribute to Chaplin at the Venice Film Festival, and it mm-hmm. was shown outdoors in the Piazza San Marco. When the film ended, everything went dark, and a spotlight fell on a balcony overlooking the square, and Chaplin himself, 
who was an old man who hadn't made a film in five years and would only live for another five years, stepped into mm -hmm. the spotlight and everyone there just erupted in thunderous applause and cheers. And Roger Ebert, who was there, called it one of his most treasured experiences as a moviegoer. And that's all. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's all. How wonderful for Roger. Yeah. I wish I had been there. Do you? Yeah. Yeah? I mean, I don't because then I'd be like way older. Sure. Yeah. You'd be super. You'd be older than me. I'd be older than you, yeah. But if I could like travel back in time as like the age I am mm -hmm. now and just go and see that and then come back, I would totally, mm -hmm. I would totally do that. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck the moon launch. <laughs> well, I would go and see. I would want to see the moon launch too. Yeah. Which one? Which one, Steve? Time traveler shows up. The traveler from from fucking Star Star Trek shows up, and he said, "For a little fondling, you can either go to <laughs> you can either go to the moon launch or you can go see fucking an old man sit in a balcony." Well, when, you put, it, you, when you put it that way, I have to say the moon launch, don't I? Sure, yeah. You want to go see an old fucking man sit in a balcony? People mm -hmm. cheer for him after they show his old-ass movie to people? Yeah. I, no, but in Is also, it my turn? Yes, it's your turn. Can I talk please. about who made it? Please. It was directed... Good, I'm going to do it. Are you ready? It was directed by Charlie Chaplin. Hey, guys, you guys know who Charlie Chaplin is. He plays the little tramp. In fact, that's all he played. <laughs> Pretty much. This genius only played one character for his entire career. This is going to be a fun show. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yeah, man. He got married a lot, didn't he? Oh, he sure did. Like, what, five or six times? Something like that? Uh, I think it's like four times. Okay. Right? Yeah. Hey, Steve. How old was this first wife? She wasn't super old. Say how old she is. I, I can't remember. Was she, wasn't she like 15 or 16 or something? She was 16 yeah. years old. Yeah. And pregnant. And he was 52. He wasn't no, he 52 was, he wasn't, yet. He was like, he was, he was, I mean, if she's 15, then he's automatically, or 16, she's out, then he's automatically too old. It doesn't matter how mm -hmm. fucking old he was. But <laughs> And he told her that he was going to make her life absolutely miserable, and he did. And then they got divorced, and then he got married again. And how old was she, Steve? Uh, I can't remember. Probably 16 or 17. 16. Like yeah. And she was also pregnant. Charlie. 16 and also pregnant, yeah. Charlie. And he met her for the first time when she was eight. So he waited. What is, you know. And while he was wait, he waited until she was, what, still illegal? Because they had to get married secretly in fucking Mexico? Because it was illegal to be, you know, fucking a 16-year-old in California? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, there was nothing weird there. He met her when she was eight, and some say he met her when she was twelve. I don't give a shit when he met her, but to carry, I don't know. I would like to say he didn't carry a torch, but he did commission a a portrait of her when she was little that he kept, and then he fucked her probably when she was fifteen, maybe even sooner than that. There's no grooming there, right, Steve? There's no grooming. There, there's nothing upsetting about what he did. I, I'm not right? saying that at all. There's very much. There, there are many upsetting things about Chaplin. Eventually, life. after all of these swings and misses, he married a woman named Una, who he remained married to for the rest of her life. She was 18. He was 50 something. And according to everyone who witnessed their relationship, she served him hand and foot with a godlike reverence. And he said it was the most perfect relationship he had ever had. 
Well, see, he finally found someone, you know, who he could relate to. Mm -hmm. Marlon Brando said that he was a dictator and he was awful. That one time he was 15 minutes late to a shoot and he got yelled at and was told that he was the most unprofessional as as he went on a rant. I can't remember what movie it was. I think it was it was the last it was the last movie he directed. It was he he wasn't Chaplin Mm -hmm. didn't star in it, but he his his final film was one he just directed. And um, I think it was called a, a princess from Hong Kong or something. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not the only person that would talk about how Charlie Chaplin was a, a countess from fucking, Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah, okay, thanks for clearing that up. I'm, I'll rush out and see it now. Um, <laughs> that he was an absolute dick on set. And he was prone to tantrums, and tirades, and yelling fits. And it wasn't just him. He would degrade his own children in front of other people and make them feel small. And he was a horrible person, according to lots of people. He was a fucking monster, okay? He was one of these guys that came up from poverty. He hit it really big. He became super famous. He started his own studio with United Artists. And at some point he said, yeah, my shit don't stink. Hand me that 12-year-old. And that was his career, you know, his backstage career. There was lots of scandals and a whole bunch of other stuff. Some woman that obsessed about him got involved, and no one ever wanted to talk about any of this stuff because we love the little tramp and we love his movies. And and we just can't we just love his movies and divorce ourselves from the director? No. (laughs) Which leads me to this question, Steve. Yes, yes, Jason. Stanley Kubrick, Mm -hmm. Charlie Chaplin. Yes. The fucking child molester that directed Superman. <laughs> the fucking child molester who directed Superman. Brian Singer, yes. Brian Brian Singer. Steve? Yes, yes, Jason. What's your deal? What's your deal, Steve? Just, what is what is your fucking deal? I need to know. It's just bad luck. I, is that what it is? I, it's just rotten luck. I mean, as far as I know, Buster Keaton was just an alcoholic. So I think I'm, he was just an alcoholic. I think I'm I in the clear as far as that goes. Yeah, um, yeah, I think you know, so too. Yeah. And, I, and Orson Welles. I think Orson I mean, Welles was, was I mean, Orson Welles had his issues, but I don't think he was a monster in any appreciable way. So, you know, I'm, go, no, I'm no, good no, on no, that no. one. But you do have a number of, of movies that you really, really love that have been directed by absolute assholes. Yeah, I do. And it's kind of like, I, I don't know if they're, you're attracted to them somehow psychically. You're like, oh, I really like this movie. That should set up alarm bells in my head. I was like... Something's coming out about them. Something's coming out about if them. I, <laughs> so the next time I come to you with like a new director that I'm absolutely wild about, you're going to be like, oh, just wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Written by Charlie Chaplin. Written. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know they sat down and they wrote something out. Okay, we're going to put this bit in here, and we're going to do this bit, and then we're going to do this bit, and... And we'll, you know, that'll be good. Produced by Charlie Chaplin. Again, surprise. Starring Virginia Cheryl as the blind girl. She did like eight other movies and then she came back for a documentary in 1983. Florence Lee as her grandmother. This was her last movie. And that's because Charlie Chaplin pushed her down, down the stairs of the apartment when she accidentally showed up a minute late from a bathroom break. Yeah. That's not true. And then true. he picked up one of those heavy flower pots and threw it down after her. That's right. 
Harry Myers as an eccentric millionaire. I wouldn't call him an eccentric millionaire. I would call him a suicidal drunk. <laughs> yes, a man with very, very serious problems that demand professional intervention. That's right, but you don't get it. <laughs> Al Ernest Garcia as his butler, and he did like 120 other movies. He's in like a lot of the Chaplin films. Um, Hank Mann as a prize fighter, and he was one of the original Keystone Cops. In fact, mm-hmm. some people say he was the originator of the Keystone Cops. And Charlie Charlie Chaplin as a tramp, not the tramp. But fuck it. It's the same character he was in the other movies, right, Steve? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's 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 the tramp. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's... because he has range. He has super. He has a lot of range. Anyway, uncredited cast. <laughs> Robert Parrish as newsboy, and he uh, he grew up and became a director and an editor on movies. Henry Bergman as uh, the mayor and blind girl's downstairs neighbor. He did a bunch of movies. Eddie Baker as boxing match referee. Same thing. Charlie Chaplin films, things like that. Albert Austin as street sweeper slash burglar. Same deal. Nothing nothing that jumps out at you. Albert Austin as, oh, I already did him, and Jean Harlow as cut from the film. Probably (laughs) because she slapped him. Probably because she slapped him. Probably because she walked off the set. (laughs) (laughs) And said, you don't get to touch me there. You don't get to touch me there. Get your fucking hands off me. So she was cut from the film. But Jean Harlow would have been in this. Isn't that neat, Steve? I would have been neat to see the tramp dance with her or whatever she was supposed to do. (laughs) I don't. Cinematography by Roland <laughs> Roland Tothero, Chaplin Films. Uh, Gordon Pollock, nothing. Um, edited by Charlie Chaplin and Willard Nico, mm, nothing. Music by Charlie Chaplin, yeah, sure, prove that. Flower Girls theme by Jose Padilla, and orchestrated by Arthur Johnson and Alfred Newman. Distributed by United Artists, release date January 30th. Oh, hey, Steve. Yeah, Jason. Who founded United Artists? I believe it was Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford mm-hmm. and Douglas Fairbanks. Mm-hmm. That's right. And didn't didn't D.W. Griffith have something? Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, 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 you're right. And D.W. Griffith, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. So a molester and a racist. And Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> and Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. Okay, fine. Uh, what did I do? Oh, release date, January 30th, 1931. Running time, 87 minutes. Budget, $1.5 million. Adjusted for inflation, $29.2 million for this movie. So that's why we got City Lights 2. What, what costs that much money in the movie? Do you, know, do, you know what, do you know why it costs so much? Why? Because Chaplin took um, over two years to shoot it. And he kept everybody, the cast and crew, on standby the entire time. Even though he wasn't actually shooting that entire time, there would be sort of intervals where he would shoot and then intervals where he wasn't doing anything, but he wanted everybody to be available, so he kept everybody on standby for two years. At a moment's notice. So that's why it was so expensive. I think at the time, I think it wound up being his most expensive film, mostly for that, because he just took so so long to make it. Yeah, Yeah. box office, four point... uh, $4.2 $4.2 million adjusted for inflation, $82.8 million. Yeah. So it made its money back. Right. A blockbuster. And, and everyone, mostly the women, after the movie was over, scrubbed as hard as they could. They scrubbed as hard as they could, but they still didn't feel clean. Some of the guys, they just didn't give a, give a damn. And Charlie went on to make another fucking movie yeah. with self indulgent prick that he was. <laughs> 
but it's okay because he's a genius. He's a genius, right? Steve? I mean, I didn't say it's. A, I didn't say it was. Genius. I didn't say it was okay because he's a genius. No, no, no. It's okay. But he that, is a genius. Yes, I do, he, he is. A I genius, do think he is a genius, and it's okay. I didn't say it was okay. I just said he was it's a genius. Okay. <laughs> He's a genius, and it's okay. He's a genius. It's okay what he did. What he did was not okay. He is a genius. What he did was not okay. It's okay. It's the same thing. I've heard it before. Steve, I've heard it before. Superman Returns. It's a great movie, but it's not okay. It's fine. I get it. I get it. Okay. That one had two molesters. It did. It did in in very prominent parts that you you can't ignore. Their contributions to the film were incredibly significant. Yeah, to the point in which their preferences were leaching into the film. And you can point at them and say, look, look, at least Champlin didn't do that. No. At least his his weird fucking problems didn't leach into the film, really. No, he kept that all. He, he knew how to. He kept it all behind the scenes. Yeah, he knew how to manipulate an audience. Yeah. He was the emotionally manipulative director. Yeah, like Alfred Hitchcock, yeah. who was also kind of a monster. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hey, Steve. Yeah, Jason. You want to run into the world of City Lights? I can't wait to take this journey with you. Oh, boy, I can't wait either. So let's me and you just stop talking. <laughs> and we'll have plenty of sound effects. Because it's a silent and movie. We'll just, that's right. We'll run into the world of City Lights, Steve. Please. Yeah. Please, you do all of it. Oh. I don't. I can't. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, please take it away. <laughs> please take it away. Please. Please take it away. Um, we are. So we, we have the opening. We credits. get the opening credits where we are told that this is a comedy romance in pantomime. So mm-hmm. just to shut up anybody who's like, I thought they was gonna be talking. It's <laughs> it's a comedy romance in pantomime. So no talking. Was that a dig at Tolkien? <laughs> Not Tolkien. Talking. Oh, talking. I mean, I can. Make, oh yeah, I, I thought it was gonna be one of no. them exciting talking pictures. I don't think Tolkien had even published anything yet, had he? Mm-hmm. No, not yet. He was still. Oh no, The Hobbit. I he think was the still Hobbit. inventing dumb. Oh wait, it's thirty-one, not The Hobbit. He yet. was still no. inventing dumb words for things. That's right. He was, uh, and not diddling children. <laughs> you know, you, you you know that's a you, you can always go straight to to that. And I mean, there's nothing I can I say. Can. There's nothing I can say. <laughs> nope. I can't say anything because that's because there's no defense. Because it's you. indefensible. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, yeah, but they wanted to let everyone know, hey, that popular thing that you like, I ain't doing it's it. It's not in this one. Like <laughs> I don't feel like it, and I ain't doing oh, it. Oh, and, and here's something else that I know you'll like, a little bit of extra trivia, because now that your feelings about Chaplin are, are, are laid bare, not only did he not make it a sound movie, despite the fact that sound movies were a, the big thing, he also uh, charged more for tickets. Did yeah. he? Good for him. Because he said, I'm Charlie Chaplin, and if they want to see my movie... I'm Charlie, yeah. That if they want to see my movie that doesn't have synchronized dialogue like all the other movies, hey, Steve, they're going to pay even more to, to see it. in one of his movies? What if you wanted to be in one of his movies? Oh, I don't think I would enjoy that. Yeah, because he's in the notorious... I feel uh, like... Know, th- this is mostly rumor. He had a couch, casting couch. Oh, yeah, there was... Yeah. So so he probably wouldn't have cast... According I don't think he would have cast Most me. estimates, yeah. yeah. He slept with 2,000 people. Yeah. And people are always amazed. He's only 5'5". Five, five. How he's got all these women? Oh, money and power. He's the head of his... Intimidation. He's the head of his own studio. <laughs> <laughs> he's Charlie Chaplin, and it's the 20s and the 30s. So, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Him, and, him and Adolf born four days apart couldn't get away with being a commie though 
That's about the only thing he couldn't get away with. Was he a commie, though? I don't know if he really was. I know he was a socialist. He he, he leaned left. I don't know if he was ever officially a communist. Mm-hmm. He probably wasn't, to be Does honest. Does he have to lean left? Does he have to be left-leaning? I feel like he pretty explicitly was. I mean, I, I, I know maybe that you don't feel good about that, but I feel like that's pretty much a historical fact. You're supposed that to be left. running into the world. And Let's run into the world. Past of, them. Hey, they're dedicating a statue. Yay. It's a statue to peace and prosperity. Mm-hmm. And they lift up the sheet to unveil the statue. It's like a big public ceremony. And look at that. Mm-hmm. It's the little tramp, and he's asleep on the statue. Yeah. Poor little guy. And uh, hey, and so now everyone said, get off the statue. And it takes him five minutes to do it. Yeah, because the sword goes through his pants, and then he has to get up from that. Yeah. And he sits on the statue's yeah. face, and then he gets up, mm-hmm. and he sits on the statue's hand. Please stop. <laughs> and then he, it's a bit. And then he goes away. It's the statue it's, bit, yeah. right? But eventually he gets down, and he gets harassed by newsboys. Yeah, and he takes off. The, you can tell he's serious because he takes the fingers off of his glove to snap his fingers at them. Mm-hmm. Like you little shit. And then, and then we have the street elevator bit. That's right, where he's admiring a nude that, statue. That's right, and he keeps walking back and forth and almost falling into a hole, but doesn't. Yep. And then he runs. Then that goes on for I don't know five, five or six hours, and then he runs into the the blind flower girl who's sitting by the park selling flowers. Right, and she mistakes him for a rich man because in order to cross the street, at one point he just opens the door of like a. A, a, like a, a fancy car that is parked there waiting mm-hmm. for a real rich guy. He just opens the door and just just walks through the car, like opens the door on one side, gets in the car and gets out mm-hmm. on the other side. And so the blind girl hears the door close on the fancy car and then says something to the tramp and thinks that he's the rich guy who got out of the car. So oh, She doesn't say anything. She doesn't, there's no dialogue. Well, well, I mean, the characters do speak to each other. We just don't hear it because, you know, there's no dialogue. No, we're still using placards yeah. for any dialogue yeah. that he wants to put yeah. in there. So she sells him a flower and mm-hmm. he... And and, you know, he pays for it with, I guess, like the last money in his pocket <laughs> and sure. uh, takes. And it's obvious that he's very taken with her, that, you know, he's he's kind of yeah. smitten with her. He's in love with her. And she yeah. and, 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 and she thinks that he's rich. So, yeah. And he probably That's thinks important. she's 14. So <laughs> she's clearly older than 14. Is she? Well, maybe. I don't know. It's the 30s. People looked older back then. Okay. Anyway, because this is a brilliant film, we keep getting placards telling us what time of day it is because they can't establish it visually. And so it's evening, and we go back to her her place, and her, yeah. her grandma yeah. is sitting in front of the, you know, the... Because he walks her home, right? No, not, the, not, 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 not this time. No, this time we just get her going home on her own. Oh, Okay. And uh, she's there, and then we have a scene where the blind lady stares out the window. I don't know what she's doing. She's actually. listening to the Is birds. She, or the she, she likes the sun on her face or something. She's, li- she she's like listening to some, the birds. Some shit. She's smelling some bread right. that one of the other poor people is cooking or something. I don't know. Right, exactly. And then, um, because we wouldn't know, we, it says evening, right. and then we're by the by the river, and it's dark. And we see a guy there who is sad. Yeah, he's ha- upset. Yeah, he's very sad. Drunk. Yeah, that too. And now we have a hilarious drowning yourself by a stone and a rope bit that goes on for a little while, in which the guy, you know, Charlie Chaplin shows up. He sits down at a bench. He sees the guy tying a rope around his neck, tying it to a rock. He tells them, "Don't do it." Right? Yeah. Somehow, Charlie Chaplin winds up with the rock tied around his neck, 
right? Yes. And he goes in the water, but he doesn't quite drown. I don't think it's deep enough. No. And then the guy pulls him up, right? Yeah, and now they're friends. Says, now they're, now they're best buddies. Now, mm-hmm. And he says, come on home with me. And we're like, great. And now we transition. Now he's back at his house, and he's a millionaire. That's right. And uh, he's like, let's drink a toast. And for the next three, three and a half hours, we get the same joke repeated over and over again, where the guy's holding a bottle and he's pouring it down the front of Charlie Chaplin's pants, right? Yep. And that's funny. Yep. And then Charlie Chaplin gets drunk, and now they're both drunk, yep. right? They're both drunk. And he says, let's, let's go out and live, because the guy is trying to kill himself with a, with a gun now. <laughs> yeah, he has a gun, but he's, he doesn't shoot himself. The gun goes no. off, but he doesn't kill himself. And then the guy's like, no, I'll live. Let's go out on the town. So. Mm-hmm. And so then you go, they go to a supper club. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, we have a few bits in the supper club, right? We like do. we have first, first it's the cigar bit, right? Where you know the rich guy has a cigar in his hand and he keeps putting it in Chaplin's mouth and he keeps trying to light a cigar, but it's he's not lighting it; he's just relighting the guy's cigar, and and they and they do the joke four, three or four times just in case we missed it the first few times so that we can get it right. <laughs> And then he takes the he finally lights the cigar and he takes it and he throws it behind him and it lands on a, a lady's chair. Mm-hmm. And she, burns she catches her, yeah. her butt on fire. She jumps. He up. sprays her with a yeah, yeah a seltzer bottle, and then they they're serving just plain spaghetti. I guess it's the best thing the for you club. when you're drunk. Just plain noodles, plain spaghetti. And noodles. I'm I'm assuming it's New Year's. It sure seems to be. It's a party, whatever. But it is. I don't know. Because none of the cards in between the scenes said it's New Year's Eve. And anyway, so he gets he they get spaghetti and he starts eating one of the streamers, yeah. and they say no no stop that and he's like okay this scene keeps going and then some dancing with people because he wants to dance with someone right yeah and he grabs somebody and then there's kind of a fight. And then it's the next morning, and they're coming out of the club, and the drunk billionaire says, get my car, I'll drive you, and then he drives like a lunatic, and then he, Charlie Chaplin doesn't say this, a card tells us that he's what he says is, you need to be careful driving, and the guy says, what, Steve? Am I driving? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. See, the joke is that he is driving. Yeah. So then he gets back to the house. The butler kicks him out. Yeah, because right? he's like, you don't live here, homeless person. And while he's out on the stoop, who shows up? The flower girl. She comes walking by with a and big basket of flowers. That's right. And so he's like, stay right here. And he runs back. He manages to get back in the house, finds the millionaire who gives him all of this money, 10 whole dollars. Yeah. And then he runs back outside. He buys all of the flower girl's flowers. Yes. And then he walks her home. Or he drives and her, then he he drives walks her, home. her home. He drives her home in the million. Oh, yeah. Car. He drives her home. Drops her off. She goes upstairs. And, you know, she he eavesdrops on her. Yeah. He <laughs> peeks through the window. So, because she's she's in love with him now. Yes. Because she's clutching her heart and looking at... Well, she's, she's blind. She's not really looking at anything. And he... <laughs> He's eavesdropping on her because he's a weird creeper. And he then leaves. But uh-oh, the millionaire guy. Yeah. When he's sober, he, number one, doesn't remember what he did the night before. And number two, he's kind of mean. Yeah, he does right? it. He just blows him. He does it. He ignores the tramp. Yeah. You know, he, yeah, he completely ignores him, gets in his car and drives off. Right. Yeah. And Charlie Chaplin's like, what's that all about? Oh, well. Thought you were my friend, man. 
I thought you were my friend. Then we cut back to the house, and uh, the blind flower girl is going on and on about this guy whose name she doesn't know. And she says, I'm going to see him again, probably, or hopefully, or something. Meanwhile, the grandmother is like, shut up, shut up. (laughs) Things don't work out for us. Just get some more money off of him. Yep. And then we see Charlie Chaplin, and he's in front of the supper club again. And who comes out? The millionaire. The millionaire, and he's, and he's, he's like, buddy. He's drunk again, and he's like, let's do, let's have a party. Let's have a party at my house, and so they do it. And there's a gag where he tries to eat a bald man's head. Because, <laughs> in fairness, the old man's head looks exactly like a cheese plate. Mm-hmm. You can understand, you know, and why And then he, he accidentally, yeah. Is that what it's supposed to be, a cheese plate? Yeah, because, Is that yeah, thing well, that he's trying to spoon? Yeah, because the, 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 one of the butlers brings by, like, yeah, it's like it's a, a mound of, like, cheese with crackers around it. And mm-hmm. then the old man has, runs, like, a hat on. Yeah, yeah. 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 Girl runs up, gives him a, a party blower, a whistle, and he gets bumped and he swallows the whistle. Yeah. So he goes outside where he's constantly hiccups, whistling, and uh, a taxi cab keeps stopping, and he's like, no, go on. And they do that like three times, and dogs show up. Yes. <laughs> and uh, finally, he just walks back into the party with the dogs while his buddy is singing, and that's the end of that scene. He's the life of the party. Who wouldn't love somebody who just showed up with a bunch of dogs? Me. <laughs> I'd rather hang out with the dogs than all those rich people. Would you? Yeah. Re- I know you'd rather hang out with dogs than people. I would. It's, if, you don't. You can take rich off. If of that. there's, a, if I'm ever <laughs> at a party and they have a dog, that's where you'll find me. Okay. Hanging out you with, know, hanging, it falls apart when you say, "Whenever I'm at a party, Steve." That's true. The only, you know, the only reason that I ever go to a party is if you woke up and there was one around you. Well, yeah, I know. Where, where did this party come from? No, the only reason I ever go to a party is to leave the party without telling anybody that I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. That's an, it's called an Irish the goodbye. The Irish goodbye. I love doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the next morning he's in bed with the rich guy. Yep. And he gets up and the rich guy wakes up and, again, doesn't remember anything. Yeah, tells his butler, and, like, get this guy out of here. Mm-hmm. And there's some gag with trying to get food and trying to get dressed and all this other stuff. And he, he find, and also the, the rich guy is leaving for Europe. Right. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, so much for this. Briefly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Considering that this relationship with the millionaire has taken up the majority of the screen time, um, and we're halfway through the film, um, maybe this will lead somewhere, right? You would think. So he he gets kicked out. He gets a banana out of it. And uh, he sneaks back to the flower girl's house and is eavesdropping on her, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... What does he discover? I can't remember. She's, oh, she's, she's sick. sick or something. She's sick. The doctor has come to see her. She has a fever. She's got a fever. And he's like, I got to get a job so that I can give her money because she thinks I'm a millionaire. Yep. <laughs> and what job does he get? He, he gets a job as a pooper scooper pick cleaning up after horses because people still have That's horses. That's right. That's right. And... Uh, that's what he does, and there's a gag in which he picks up some some of the poops, and then he sees a whole bunch of donkeys being led down there, and he turns around because he's not going to do that, and he walks past an elephant, and that's funny. And then we cut to the house in which the blind flower girl is like, he's going to show up. I know he is. Meanwhile, Grandma is reading an eviction notice. Uh-oh, melodrama. That says, you pay us $22 or we're going to come and we're going to take all your stuff. Yeah, she is losing at Monopoly. 
and cut back to lunch at where all the guys go who clean up the streets. They go to get lunch, and Charlie Chaplin's washing his face, and he mistakes cheese for soap, and he puts soap in a guy's... Boy, and t- by the way, how, deli- how delicious soap. how delicious does this guy's sandwich sound? Okay, it's it's a huge cheese and a huge block of cheese, <laughs> a couple of slivers yeah. of onion <laughs> on white bread. Yeah. Oh, delicious. Don't judge delicious. him. Delicious. It sounds great. You've never had a cheese and onion sandwich? Not like that, not with like a gigantic block of cheese in the middle <laughs> of the like bread. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, it is still a triangle of cheese sitting in the middle of the bread. Yeah. He doesn't shave it. He but, doesn't you know, do it. It's just it's, Chaplin's yeah. a Chaplin's a perfectionist, and he knew when something didn't look right. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he's a genius. He is. So if it's in there, it's in there for it's, a reason. It's all very it's calculated. Like, yes. this it's out. all very calculated. Yeah. Anyway, he gets upset and he starts yelling at him and foaming at the mouth. The gag doesn't really work, but then again, we kind of expected it. You know that he would be like bubbles coming out of his yelling. Yeah. Charlie Chaplin changes out of his street cleaning uniform into his plain clothes, and he says, I'm going to leave, boss. And he says, be back in time. And he's like, sure. And he goes and gets groceries, and he comes and delivers them to the blind girl, because Grandma is now selling the, cl- the flowers. Yeah, and she ain't selling shit. Who wants to buy flowers from some old woman? That's right. Who cares? Who cares? Die old yeah, woman. Yeah, you fuck. Where's your granddaughter? And so she's sitting at home, and he shows up, and he's like, I brought you food. And she's like, great. Hey, you want to help me with... And he shows off a duck, and he says, I killed this duck myself. I don't know why that is. And then she's like, help me with my knitting. And he's like, okay. But she starts taking the knitting from what garment? We don't know. I think it's supposed to be his underwear from the way he's shifting around when she pulls the thread. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're cutting to... And then he reads the mail, and he tells her, Oh, yeah, you're going to get evicted. And she starts crying, and he says, Don't worry, somehow I am going to get the money. I Don't worry, I'll come back with the money for the rent. Right? Yeah, he says, I'll pay this first thing tomorrow morning. Don't worry about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he goes back to work, and he gets fired. Because he's late. He's late. And uh, that, thankfully, is right next to a boxing gym. And a guy comes, comes up, and he says, Hey, if you fight me in the boxing match... I promise I won't hurt you, and we'll split it 50-50. And that'll be enough money to pay the rent for this girl, right? Yeah, that's right, with a couple of dollars left over. Except the dude suddenly gets a telegram saying the cops are after you, and he takes off. And now he's got to fight a different guy, right? Yeah, and this guy ain't looking to make any kind of a deal. No. And he gets some pointers from a black person who I didn't expect to see in this movie, and had, in fact, completely forgotten that he was in here. And he's not treated terribly. No, he's not at for all. For the time, is he? No, not at all. Not at all. He's one of the boxers, and he's trying to help him out, give him a lucky rabbit's foot or whatever. Yeah. But he comes back beaten up, and this goes on and on. Anyway, he gets into the ring, and he fights him, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> and we get repeat gags over and over again, right? Where he's ghosting behind the, the, the referee. The referee. Yeah. And then they ghost each other, and then they start dancing with... One of the guys starts dancing with the referee, and, you know, they get some hits in and goes to his corner, and he hallucinates that the girl is... is he's kissing the girl's hand, because that's all he does, really. He kisses her hand. Yeah. Right? Well, it's the 30s. But eventually he gets knocked out. Yep. And then... Because um, we're an hour and ten minutes into the movie, after the fight... Who does he run into? He runs into his old buddy, the millionaire, just back from Europe. That's right. And 
he gets they go home and he's like can you give me money yeah right yeah. apparently he tells him about the flower girl like on the way to the house because when they get to the house the mm-hmm. millionaire's like don't worry about the girl i'll take care of the girl mm-hmm. and he says how about a thousand dollars and he's like yippee <laughs> but it, what they don't know is that inside the mansion are a couple of burglars yeah. right Mm-mm-mm. and they knock out the millionaire guy right yep. and then the butler calls the cops the cops show up and oh no charlie chaplin has all the money and the other guy's been knocked out and that knockout makes him forget who charlie Chaplin yep. is. yep I, I guess the knockout sobers him up uh-huh. so next time you're drunk just and remember that he says i don't know this man and then they capture him and he takes it on the lamb he runs away yeah right? yeah and where does he run to he Steve? runs to the blind girl's apartment and he gives her the money. Yep. He says, "Here, this is for." Yep. He says, "This is for the rent, and this is for your surgery to get your eyes fixed." Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Thank you very much." And he's like, "Now you owe me. <laughs> you owe me everything. You understand?" <laughs> and what happens then? Uh, he leaves, and he. The next thing is we see him getting picked up on the street. The cops yep. arrest him, and, and he, he goes to jail. No trial. They just take him directly to jail. Yep. And then we see a calendar with its days coming off, and it's about how many months later? Four months later? It's Yeah, something like that. It's a little while later. Yeah. yeah. Cut to the flower girl. Yeah. And she's got her own flower shop. Yeah, and she can see. And she can see now. Things are going great for the flower Things girl. Things seem to be going pretty right? good, yeah. Cut to the jail, and the little tramp has hung himself. <laughs> Cut to the... He can't hang himself. He doesn't even have a belt. Come on, you... Yeah, he's in bad shape. He's gotten out of jail. Yeah. You know, his pants are completely destroyed. There's those jerk, those fucking jerk newsboys. Oh, yeah. Shooting him with pea shooters. Little pricks. You know? You should push some of them into traffic. The the tramp is like looking around, trying to. It looks where the flower girl was next to the park when he first met her, and she's not there, right? Right. And meanwhile, back at the flower shop, some rich asshole shows up, and she's like, oh, maybe that's him. And it's not him. He's an imposter. How dare you? He is not the man that helped you. (laughs) Nope. Because she keeps thinking, oh, he'll come back, right? So he shows up at the corner, and this is when the newsboys start shooting him because yeah. it's right in front of the, it's right in front of the flower shop. Yeah. And the flower girl is laughing at him. Right, because she right? thinks he's a tramp. Yeah, she thinks he's like a, yeah. a homeless person. He's a worthless human being. Yeah. With no, yeah. Yeah. And she has just swept out some uh, flowers, but then she she feels badly for him, and she's like, "Here, take this." flower and he recognizes her and he's so happy and she's like take the fucking flower you goddamn cretinous no good penniless moron (laughs) and he's like he finally reaches out and they touch hands right yeah and then she recognizes that it's him and he's happy yeah right he's got his hand to his mouth and he's smiling that creepy smile of his and she's like what does she say he says you can see right yeah, yeah And she says, yes, and, I can see now. And she says, yes, I can see now. And then they don't kiss, and they fade out the end. Correct. Steve? Yes. Tell me how you feel about this movie. Can you? I, I, can you tell me? I I love it. I want to know. I, lo- I love it very much. I know you love it very much. I, I love want, it. I, I love want it you very, to tell me very much. What about it that you love so much? Okay. Steve? Can you do I, that? I want to tell you. I want. I want to tell you a story. So. 
Oh, so, God. Do so, we have to know some backstory about you to understand why you like Charlie Chaplin City Lights? When I was born, I was blind. And then... Fuck. No, I got, <laughs> it's not that long of a story, but it's... It what, was what, 1980. What? When I was a boy... Um, okay, when I, when I when I first started getting into movies, when I was a teenager, City Lights was one of those movies that I heard about and read about for years before I ever actually saw it. Sure. Um, because it's one of those movies, right, that if you get into film and you start reading I had things... A, and, I had a similar experience. Yeah, it's one yeah. of those things. It's one it's of those just, movies. It gets, it gets mentioned a lot. It gets talked about a lot. As I said in my trivia, it is the favorite film or one of the favorite films of a lot of people who went on to make significant contributions to film themselves. Sure. Um, you know, it, so it, it looms very large. And when I finally got to watch it, I was maybe 16 or 17 and it mm-hmm. had been it had been built up in my mind so much and I'd seen some Chaplin by then. I think I had seen Modern Times and The Great Dictator. I think those were probably the two first Chaplin films I ever saw. Um, I'd seen some Buster Keaton. Uh, Sherlock Jr. was already my favorite movie, and it still is. Mm-hmm. But then I finally sat down to watch City Lights. I think they were showing it like on TCM or something like that. And and I, you know, I had never seen it. I didn't know what to expect. It had been presented to me for all these years as this masterpiece among masterpieces. And I finally watched it, and it was everything everyone said it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was, it was one of those rare moments in life where you have these unreasonably high expectations for something, and it meets and exceeds those expectations. Um, Weird, because I have a similar one, but not. <laughs> but in the opposite. <laughs> in the upside down. In the upside down. And and look, and as as we've talked about already, and you mentioned at the beginning, like there's no defending Charlie Chaplin as as a person. You know, he mistreated people in horrible ways, professionally and personally. Yeah. Like there's there's doesn't have anything to do with the movie. That's just icing. Yeah, there's <laughs> that just makes the movie better if you know that. No. It, <laughs> It, he was he was he was an asshole to people in ways mm-hmm. that are completely indefensible and i make no yeah. effort at defending them but judged by the work if you can do that and if if you can't that's fine um he's to me one of the top two or three actors in the history of the movies mm-hmm. i i watch him and i am in awe of what he does um you say he only played he only ever really played one character and that's true but he has such emotional range in that character. Um, he can be incredibly broad and clownish, and he can also be almost imperceptibly subtle from one moment to the next. And, mm-hmm. and, and he can show us exactly what his character is thinking without anyone having to say a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the few great silent stars when he finally did transition into the sound era. He's one of the few great silent stars to actually continue doing great work, at least for a little while, not for very long, in all honesty, because uh, some of his later sound films are really not that much to write home about. But he did at least do one great sound film, which was his first one, The Great Dictator. Um, mm-hmm. But but his his best work is in silent film. And when I watch him, I'm always reminded of what Gloria Swanson says with that great line in Sunset Boulevard, where she says, "We didn't mm. need we didn't need dialogue. We had faces." 
Um, mm-hmm. I think about that when I watch Charlie Chaplin and pretty much anything, but especially in this. And it wasn't just that he was like a naturally gifted actor. He was smart. If you watch City Lights or any of his other great silent work, you see, or at least I see, how well-crafted and fully realized his comedy bits are. Because mm. slapstick is so easy to do wrong. And, and Chaplin does it right. It's never just, ha-ha, the little guy fell down. Everything is always justified, so it makes sense within the logic of the scene. And there's always an idea or a point being made or something to tie everything together. For example, in that opening scene where he's doing all the business on the statue, there's so much going on there on top of, ha-ha, there's a sword in his pants, or ha-ha, he's sitting on the statue's face. You've got the irony of a tramp sleeping on a statue dedicated to peace and prosperity. So Chaplin is reminding us of who that peace and prosperity leaves out. You've got the central joke of the tramp character himself, which is that he's always trying to maintain his dignity. You know, he's not just tripping and falling and flailing around randomly. His actions are determined by that conceit that he's a down and out person, but he is attempting to affect the manners of a gentleman. So like when he's stuck on the sword, you know, he's trying to get off the sword and he's, he's you know, doffing his cap at people and sort of smiling, you know, kind of uh, embarrassedly like, oh, it's, you know, like he's, he's trying to... to sort of save whatever dignity he can from that situation. Mm-hmm. So the comedy driven by Chaplin's skill and his smart and thoughtful joke construction and his incredible physicality and comic timing is great. But what really elevates City Lights into the top tier is the love story. And it's so simple and so tender and so sweet. And it's just heartbreaking. And, and it's, it's not heartbreaking because it's sad. It's heartbreaking because it's sincere and it's pure. And mm-hmm. I watch this movie and I think I'm not good enough to be seeing this. <laughs> like, I don't deserve this. I'm garbage. This movie is so much better than me. Um, but in a good way. In a good way. And... <laughs> I'm worthless. I'm a worthless piece of garbage, but but in a good way. Um, Mm -hmm. The tramp falls in love with the girl and decides he wants to help her. And he gets a job and he earns money and he uses it to buy things for her and to help her out. And then ultimately he gets the money to pay for her eye surgery, even though he knows that if she sees who he really is and realizes he's a tramp instead of the rich man that she thinks he is. That she he's might, been lying to her the whole time and yeah. the basis of their entire relationship yeah. well, you is know, deceit. Just like, yeah, just like with Lois Lane and Clark Kent, exactly. Um, <laughs> he knows that if she finds out the truth that she might not want him anymore. Sure. And it's, it's the tramp's greatest triumph. And it's not because he pulls himself out of his lowly situation. It's because he's able to lift up someone else. We see every dollar he gets his hand on in this movie, he gives to the girl. There's even a scene, their last scene together before he gets arrested and she gets the surgery, when he's giving her the money, he has taken one of those bills and put it in his pocket to save for himself. And when he gives the money to the girl and says, this is for your rent and this is for your eyes. And she says something else to him, you know, something sort of sweet to him or asks him if he's going to come back or something. And like he, he feels guilty that he was keeping some of the money for himself and he takes Mm -hmm. it back out of his pocket and gives her that last, however much that was that he had intended to keep for himself. He, He gave it all to her. Um, and then we get that ending, which is sure. which is celebrated as the greatest of all endings in movies. And I agree. I do think it's the best ending I've ever seen in a movie um, that goes from funny, 
when he's being shot at with the pea shooters and sort of, you know, arguing with the the newsboys. And then it goes right up to the edge of being absolutely wrenching because the flower girl sees him at first and, like you said, thinks he's just a homeless person and is kind of treating him like a pet and sort of looking, Mm -hmm. being kind of patronizing to him and saying, oh, come here, don't you want your money? Don't you want your flower? You know, she's trying, in her mind, she's being nice, but she's being really condescending to him. And, sure. and it just rips my heart out because it's like, oh, she doesn't know, you know, like she's treating him, you know, mm-hmm. like he's beneath her. But she's also trying to be nice to him. And it's just it's just awful. You know, this kindness mixed with pity. And and then she realizes who he is. And Chaplin cuts to that shot of the tramp's face where it looks like he can't decide whether to laugh or cry. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And we the fade out. Over. The movie's over. And we are left to wonder what happens next. And I know what happens. Yeah, we, we were talking. We were talking about it before we recorded. Um, but yeah, and you know, I know what I hope happens next, but mm-hmm. I but I don't know. And such is life. We hope, but we don't know. Um, mm-hmm. a, and if we and if we had been meant to know, the movie would tell us. But we don't. Know. Sure, the movie doesn't tell us. So I mean, mm-hmm. I just I, I don't know what else I can say about it. Um, I think it's I think it's a wonderful film. I think it's um, I think it's a masterpiece in every sense of the word. It makes mm-hmm. me it makes me laugh. It moves me deeply. I admire it and I adore it. I think it's 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 one of my very 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 favorite films. So and this one this is one that I actually did watch twice. Usually you watch the movie twice. I most of the time for these shows I only watch the movie once because like I mean how many fucking times? Because you're take? lazy. How, we get it. How many times does it take? <laughs> I get it. I watched it, but this one I actually did watch twice because it's City Lights because I I, yeah. I love it so much. But anyway, that's your yeah. turn. Your turn. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Tear me up. Tear me up. Hurt me. Hurt me. First time I saw this movie was after a whole bunch of fucking cinema snobs told me that City Lights is one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> they kept talking it up. City Lights this. City Lights that. These are the same people who were talking up The Third Man to me. Sure. When I saw, finally saw The Third Man, I went, yes, that is one of the best movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Thank you very much. But no one was ever really talking about the plot of City Lights because there's barely one in it. There's barely a plot. This the, the City Lights is a clothes hanger to hang bits on, and yeah. the some would argue brilliant part of it is is that the overall plot is a very melancholy story about you know a blind girl and a, and a home a homeless tramp finding love during the depression right that's the overall thing is they find love and we don't have a resolution it resolves however you feel about it however you want it to end is how it's going to end but when i finally saw it i saw a whole bunch of bits and it went on to the point which i thought maybe this doesn't have a plot maybe this is just bit after bit after bit after bit and it kind of felt like that the first time i watched it and i watched it and uh, my friend said what did you think and i said i did not like it (laughs) I found it to be long. I found a couple of things humorous. Um, but uh, there are other movies by him that I had seen. I liked The Tramp much more. And holy shit, talk about mo- emotionally manipulative The Tramp is. Um, not The Tramp, The Kid. Oh my and, god, yes. Yeah. And I saw it and I went, okay, I'm not seeing what you guys are seeing. Because everything's shot in long shots. Jesus, long shots. Some of the longest shots you'll see in a movie where they just hold in one place. The cinematography is nothing to write home about. It, it, it follows, the, you know, if you're doing a comedy, you shoot it wide. 
Because if you do a comedy and you pull in for a close-up, the close-up will turn it into a drama almost immediately, <laughs> especially when it comes to things like slapstick and things like that. So it's shot wide, um, mostly to get the bits in and stuff like that. Um, and they're long shots. The There's a couple of shots in there that I thought, how in the hell are they doing it this long? I didn't think that the film magazines came in this length. <laughs> right? But he gets them. He gets them in shot. Um, I found the the bits to be clever but not funny. I found them to be clever but not funny. I di- I didn't laugh out loud at a number. There's a couple of things that I thought were humorous, but I didn't laugh out while watching it. So let's go back to me watching this when I'm 22. Right? It's it's 1992. No, 1991. And I'm watching it, and I watched it, and I said, okay, fine. I can mark that off. I don't need to see it again. And then we did this fucking show. And I said, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm older now. Maybe the um, melodrama will work on me a little bit more. Maybe I'll be able to see what's in this movie that makes me, you know, that that, that, that the other people are seeing in it. But the problem was is that between the time that I saw it then and when I saw it now, I learned more about the movie. I learned more about the man. And I learned more about, you know, when this took place. Because I was convinced that this was pre-talkie. Nope, it's, it's it, during the talkie. In 1931, you went and saw Dracula go blood at everybody. You heard Frankenstein go rawr at everybody. You know, there were plenty <laughs> of movies that were coming out. You had already seen goddamn All Quiet at the Western Front, right? Yeah. And here comes Charlie Chaplin, who's like, nah, talking is talking is overrated. Nah, bullshit. You were being pulled out of your comfort zone. Because it's possible that when everyone found out that America's favorite little tramp was fucking British, they might freak out. It didn't matter. You just didn't want to do it. I get it. You didn't want to do talking films because this was the medium that you were used to. You know, saying that it's like painting a statue, then I guess we'll never do Shakespeare on film, right? Or maybe we'll just do a silent version of Shakespeare because that doesn't defeat the fucking purpose. <laughs> Anyway, so I had all of this other stuff, and unfortunately I knew about all of his, you know, unfortunate things about teenage girls that have been, and so I have all of this stuff hanging on top of me when I go in to a movie that I wasn't impressed with in 1922, and I sit down and watch it, and it's long, and and the shots go on long, and I remember this bit, and I remember that bit, and I'm like, this really, boy, if you took out the bits, this movie is is 15 minutes long, right? Maybe sure. Maybe a little bit longer, maybe 20 minutes. But there are points in the movie when you're watching it going, is this about the the little blind flower girl or was she just a throwaway? Because now we're spending all of our time with the suicidal millionaire. And that's all we seem to do. And it's the same joke over and over again. And that was one of the other things is that, hey, Steve, how often how often does Buster Keaton repeat a gag? Um, not as often as Chaplin does. No, not as Chaplin often as Chaplin in this does. movie repeats a gag like over and over again several times. It's like, oh, if you didn't get it the first time, we're going to show it to you again. It's almost as, as if they're on a loop. That boxing match, they repeat some of those gags three or four times. Oh, yeah. You know, because, oh, now he's dancing behind the referee. Now, now the other boxer is dancing with the referee and he has to be turned around so he can fight Chaplin and they hit and then they do the same gag over again. And it's kind of like... I know that there's a rule of three when it comes to comedy, but when it comes to slapstick, it starts to not make sense that the thing is starting to repeat over and over and over again. You want the resolution. What is the end to that gag, right? Mm-hmm. What is the end to the gag with the with the cigars when they're sitting in when they're sitting in the supper club? 
and he's trying to light one. First couple of times, it's funny, but then you're like, this gag is going on. You've been doing it now for four minutes. Please find a resolution to it. Resolution throws the cigar, right? Right. Catches some lady on fire. She burns to death. And so it's like, (laughs) it doesn't happen. (laughs) Nothing that exciting happens here. So when it feels like it's it's mostly just a clothesline to hang gags on, the, and, and and don't get me wrong, guys, at the very end of this movie, it had to work to a certain degree because you do feel you have to be made out you have to be a robot made out of rock to not feel something when the flower girl recognizes who he is, right? Yeah, you have to because he's manipulated you into that point, right? I don't give a shit about her. I really don't. (laughs) They don't really give her much of a personality other than she immediately falls in love with him and she's constantly telling her grandmother that he's going to come back, right? Yeah. It's funny how he always shows up when you're not here and she's like, yes, that's because you're insane and I don't believe you. It's it's not like they share any experiences together that are meaningful for the two of them. He just falls in love with her. You, You describe it as something very simple and it is. It is very simple. You know, they did. They just. He's in love with her. She's in love with him. And oh, there's the deceit part, right? Yeah. And the convenient European doctor that can cure blindness. <laughs> they can do amazing things in Vienna, can't they? Apparently. Why is she blind? We don't know. Eh. I poured arsenic in her eyes when she was a baby. Oh, <laughs> dear Grandma, don't bring up that. I tried to kill her so many times. The doctor said it would cure you of the Spanish flu, but it didn't. Oh, Grandma, no. And so if I'm not engaged with the overall story, and it's a bunch of gags that I don't think are... that I think are clever but not funny, I feel the movie is clever. I'm sure that there are people who will see this and go, this is brilliant, but the cinematography... Like I said, the cinematography is nothing to write home about. There's only one shot that kind of impressed me, and that is when he was looking at the nude statue on the street. Mm-hmm. They actually, it's, it feels like they actually filmed that on a street. Yeah. Because there's so many fucking extras going back and forth behind him. Yeah. Right. And um, I thought, okay, that's that's fairly impressive. Oh, they hired, they got an elephant. That's great. Um, you know, but for the most part, these are small sets. The movie can feel kind of small in certain places. There's nothing there that really strikes me as being visually, you know, visually impressive. Um, and, you know, I have a preference. Buster Keaton always will always impress me. Why? Because Buster Keaton did dangerous fucking shit. <laughs> yes, he did. Buster Keaton put his ass on the line when he was making his movies. So he could be a jerk all he wants on set because they aren't the ones that could get smashed by this collapsing wall during the hurricane. No, (laughs) it's me. It's me. They couldn't potentially fall off of the front of a moving fucking train. I mean, how long did he have to work to get that done? How long did he have to work to be able to throw those... those, those oh, railroad, the railroad ties, yeah. The railroad ties. Which is maybe the most dangerous stunt he ever did because of well, like... It, if, if, if that it train wasn't going to stop yeah. if he fell in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's that not, would be it, the last... <laughs> yeah, I mean, people think of like, you know, swinging on the rope to catch her from the waterfall or the, uh-huh. the, the house falling on him, but that bit in the general with the train is yeah. insanely that, dangerous. And he wasn't that and he wasn't 
syrupy. No. Right? He wasn't sappy. You know, the one where he's trying to... Well, is, is it Sherlock where he gets together with a woman and then they, they do a fast-forward of them through the years? No, that's college. That's also a great That's ending. college. Yeah, that's where they college. do a time-lapse to, the, to their entire relationship and to the grave. And it is so fucking cynical. It's and, and hilarious. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And very hilarious cynical. Yes. And cynical. Very cynical, yeah. You won't get that from, from Chaplin, not at the end of it, because a no. lot of people say, oh, well, he left it open. And it's like, bullshit, he did. We I saw the movie leading up to this. Fuck you, he didn't leave it open. Do you honestly think that Charlie Chaplin could, for the life of him, actually tack on an ending where she punches him in the dick, pulls his pants down, and pushes him into the street after that? <laughs> but or you even don't something know. milder, where she says, well, bye-bye, and he wanders off alone, smelling, smelling the fucking flower? No. That's not in him. He's like Spielberg. You can't you can't not do a, a happy ending. And so other people are like, well, I think that what happens is they go their separate ways. That's you bringing that into that. Did you watch the movie? Is that the one you wanted? Because there was a part of me that's kind of like, oh, she can't. She doesn't recognize him. He doesn't see her in the window, and they just walk a while apart from each other. Cool, but we're, that's not what that's not what this is, is, is setting up, right? Right. This is. The, I mean, Steve, you can't watch that movie and go, oh, no, no, totally, they don't work out. Right? Well, it no, doesn't I mean, happen. The, way, the way I look at it is, what, what, to me, what makes it such a perfect ending is that you don't know. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm saying it's equally likely <laughs> that they break up as they <laughs> get there. I mean, you're right. He, does, he is clearly leading up to it. There's plenty in the movie and plenty in Chaplin's overall work that we know the kinds of stories he tends to tell. You can probably mm. assume that if he had shown you a few minutes more that they would have gotten together and it would have been an unambiguously happy ending. But he doesn't. Yeah. But he doesn't. He stops short, which is the more artful He stops short. Yeah. Because we don't need to see it. Mm. Because we don't need to see him and her working in the flower shop. Right. Married. Right. With some fucking whelp running around. Yeah, with a little mustache. And grandma. Yeah, with a little mustache. Um, we don't need to see it. We don't need to see it because they already set up the two characters that they're so much in love that that's eventually what's going to happen. It's superfluous. And he doesn't tell stories like that, I don't think. So, um, so here's the difference. Steve saw it and he found it to be brilliant. I saw it and found it to be overhyped. I was like, purr, 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 purr. is it bad? No, it's not bad. It's not, but it's not engaging for me. It just isn't. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more than just a bunch of gags strung together and repeated over and over again in order for me to get it. Do I think that Charlie Chaplin is a genius? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Do I think that this is one of the greatest movies ever made on par with The Third Man? Fuck no. I don't. Um, so, I mean, you guys might watch it and you may, might be like, okay, I'm out. And you fall asleep for an hour and a half and you wake up and you really haven't missed anything other than him trying to get you to cry at the end. Which he is good at. I mean, don't get me wrong. As as paper thin as the, as the thread, as the plot thread of the Blind Flower Girl plot line is... He puts just enough in there for you to give a shit at the very end that you hope that they see each other, right? But that doesn't make it an enjoyable experience for me. I found it dull. I don't think anyone who likes it is an idiot. No, I'm kidding. I found it. It was fine. It was fine. Uh, it was fine, but I wouldn't recommend it to just anybody. If, you, if you're a cinephile and you haven't seen it, you're not wasting your time seeing it. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll discover a new love for, for silent films or whatever. But because of the baggage and because it didn't engage me, it's not something that I'm ever going to see again. And if someone says, what did you think of City Lights? I'm going to tell them exactly what I said here. Same length of time. And maybe I'll even add more facts that'll make people just like, Jesus, I'm sorry I asked you. Fuck. 
can we just talk about how the party's good? Where'd Steve go? <laughs> He's upstairs watching City Lights. <laughs> I couldn't hear you. In I a left room so by himself. My fell out. Sorry, I missed your joke. Sorry, Steve. It's okay. It was it was fine. Right. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. Okay. I will say this. Um, hmm. I think I, I I think you know. I if you put a gun to my head, I prefer Buster Keaton too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and a lot of the things that you describe not liking so much about Chaplin are I mean it's it's a pretty common experience for people I I think I think Keaton is more accessible to modern audiences Keaton feels more contemporary Keaton feels mm-hmm. you know more modern and if and, and and you know I mean as a director Chaplin shot to capture the gag and to capture his performance sure. like that's what he was after so as a filmmaker I think he is not everything that Keaton was because I mean Keaton obviously shot for the gag too but sure. he was also more he was interested in the technical side of filmmaking he was interested in cameras he was interested in editing um, and you know and even though he was a very unpretentious filmmaker there are a lot of just absolutely brilliant shots in Keaton movies and there aren't really as many of those in Chaplin movies. And most of the really no. memorable shots in Chaplin movies are shots of Chaplin because that's yep. what he was. That's what he was there to record. He was there to capture mm-hmm. the performances and primarily his performance. So you know, if that doesn't work for you, or if the gags don't work for you, then you're probably not going to have a very good time with Charlie Chaplin. Right. And that's fine. Yeah. Like that's fine. That's a matter of taste, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add one more thing. <laughs> yes. I find it a little distasteful that a millionaire. For his entire career, pretended to be a homeless person. <laughs> you think he should have just been homeless for real? No, I'm I'm saying that he made his money portraying this kind of homeless derelict. Well, don't get me wrong. The 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 the, the little tramp character is decent enough, right? Yeah. Like you said, he he still pretends with the polite politeness. He's always tipping his hat. He's always you know trying to shake. He's always trying to be nice, which is fine. Which is fine. I only said it as a joke. Well, half a joke. <laughs> I, but but since you brought it up, um, he humanizes the tramp. He humanizes, sure. and, and through that, humanizes people in real life who are in that situation. Um, sure. And the joke is almost never on the fact that the tramp is poor. Like it's never. Yeah. We're never. We're never led to laugh at him because he is poor. Um, and, and if anything, because he is our hero, we're meant to laugh at the rich, at the police, at the sort of higher sure. society. I mean, the, the authority, figures. the authority figures, you know, so it's 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 really it's a it's a great example of how comedy should punch up instead of punch down. Like we're led to sympathize mm. with the downtrodden and the underdog. And we're meant to target our derision and our mockery at the people that mm. are holding him down or, or making his yeah. life miserable. So, you know, yeah. Okay, Steve. Now it's time for you to re- un- not rec- unrecommend to, un-recommend. to not recommend something since you love the, the, you love this movie so much. So Steve, I do. So please, this was actually really tough to find a not recommend, but I did find one because I mean, usually what I do is I'll I'll not recommend something else that somebody from the movie did. But even though Chaplin's later work is not great, especially his last mm-hmm. two or three films, um, I don't think any of them are bad enough to say don't see it. Like, I mean, Countess from Hong Kong. Yeah, is, I'm not going to yeah. tell. I'm I'm actually doing a not recommend at the end of this. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just yeah. don't like it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know? yeah, his his last film, the one he directed that 
co-stars Marlon Brando, Countess from Hong Kong, is not a great movie and certainly doesn't even rate next to his his great silent work. But it's not like mm. bad. It's not like I would ever say, oh, don't see that. So it was tough to find a not recommend. But I found one. It's uh, another silent movie, because even though I love silent movies, they weren't all good. <laughs> and, and this is a silent comedy from 1926. Um, directed by William Wellman and starring mm-hmm. George K. Arthur, and also in a small supporting role starring a young Joan Crawford. Nah. Um, and it's called The Boob. And it's not about like a woman's boob. Is this the only porno that Joan it's Crawford not, it's made? Not a, it's not a lady's boob. It's not a, fi- oh. it's not, it's not a Philip Roth novel. Oh. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not the story of a man who became a boob. Um <laughs> Which, to be clear, is the actual plot of an actual Philip Roth Can't novel. it be? Um, is it really? The breast. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, it is. yeah the breast. Yeah. Uh, anyway, one of our great American writers. Um, he. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's called the boob, and it's a boob as in like a fool, a dumbass, you know, a, a guy a who's stooge. a stooge, a bumbling yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you mentioned actually in passing as we were talking about City Lights, there is a black character in City Lights, the, one of the boxers, who is, for, for the time period, is treated relatively well, right? He, sure. He gets a little bit of dialogue in one of the title cards, and he talks just like a dialogue. normal... Dialogue. And he talks just like a normal person. You know, he doesn't... He, he isn't... You know, it's not written in like, you know, um, like a minstrel show kind of thing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and I mentioned that because there is a black character also in the boob that doesn't get off so easily. There is one of the oh. one of the supporting characters is is uh, a child, uh, a, 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 a black boy by who looks about maybe 10 or 11 years old. And mm-hmm. and he is treated like a character from a minstrel show. And, no. and when, when his dialogue is written on one of the title cards, he sounds, you know, like a character from Amos and Andy. And it's it's just awful. Um, and, and, you know, as, as we, as we have proof from having watched city lights, even though black characters were not typically super well-treated for the time, there are examples of movies having black characters where they weren't treated like caricatures or, you know, given insulting or demeaning things to say or do. Um, but that's only part of the reason that the boob is a bad movie. The big reason is it's just a, it's, if you think the bits in city lights go on a little too long and are a little repetitive, Boy, you're going to have a bad time with this <laughs> because this is it's nothing but just not even ter- not even very clever, just incredibly overlong, obvious, uninspired gags that just go on and on forever. Um, you know, one of the characters is like a dumb cowboy and he's dressed like a cowboy from, you know, like. Like a cowboy from a stereotypical silent movie with like big mm-hmm. chaps with like a fucking cow print pattern and a big hat and he and he's a drunk of course and he has a big broom handlebar mustache and it's just it's bad it's just a bad movie so you know I can go on and on and on and wax poetic about how much I love silent cinema all day and I really do but don't let me give you the impression that every silent movie is great because it's definitely not <laughs> and this is an example of that the boob do not watch it. Okay, as you guys know, I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1931. And the movie that I'm not going to recommend originally came out in Britain, and it was called Rich and Strange. By the time it made it uh, to the United States, it was called East of Shanghai, and it was directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh Uh-oh. What was it about? Fuck if I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was. What is it about? It's about this couple that find out that their their uncle is going to give them an advance on their inheritance so that they can live free and do whatever they want. And so what do they do? They they travel, and the majority of it, the leading man is seasick most of the time, and the lady falls in love with some other people, and then the man falls in the love with like someone who says that she's a princess but it's a scam and then they almost break up and then they get back together and they go home and despite it being a talkie there's only 30% of the film that's dialogue so you can imagine what the rest of it is nothing (laughs) (laughs) it's boring don't see it I know it says Alfred Hitchcock on it but you know what this is Alfred Hitchcock you know transitioning from from talkies. Yeah. It's five years before his big before he starts making a movie that people give a shit about. And so it's a little bit have you ever seen it? I've ever never seen, seen it. Shanghai? No, I've never seen Good. it. Good. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing you're not missing a fucking thing. It, it that is the plot. And if that plot sounds boring, boy, stretch that out to an hour and a half. So don't <laughs> see it. Don't see it. East of Shanghai. Hey Steve. Yes, Jason. We had a pretty good streak, didn't we? We've been on a pretty good streak, yeah, yeah. We've been reviewing some pretty good movies. Some classic films, yeah. I mean, even though I don't personally like City Lights, it's undeniable that it's a classic. Broadly regarded as a classic, yeah, absolutely. Good good fellas. Good fellas. Before that. Mm. I don't remember what it was before that. There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. I mean, Jesus Christ. Pretty good run. A good movie podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are. I mean, for the most part. But there's a genre that we haven't done that we have to do. Oh, boy. Okay, okay, okay. It's a a genre, as near as I can tell, that has never had a good movie attributed to it. Oh, great. So the streak's over, no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, the streak is over, no matter what you fucking choose. It's over. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. So I have picked three movies, at, not at random, but I've picked three movies that Steve does not know anything about. Nope. He's going to randomly select A, B, or C, and the one he selects is the next review upcoming. There's no escaping this, Steve. You are falling into the monster's mouth. There's no handhold for you, that's a tooth. Okay. There's no getting out of it. Okay. 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 You are going to be chewed. You are going to be swallowed. I'm ready. Steve. I'm ready. Please select A, B, or C. Ooh, I'm going with A. Okay. You said okay. I was going to get chewed and swallowed there's no matter no what. Way, there's, so. yeah, there's, no, there's no way around it. Okay. 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 Care to guess what the genre is? Um, like beach party movies. <laughs> That's nice. Look at you. Going back to the 1960s. Making the assumption that none of them were good. I think you're correct. <laughs> I think but, I am too, but yeah. No, no, this this genre is newer. Okay. It's newer. Okay. Going back to, say, I would say the 90s. Oh, I don't think there were any examples my. of this type of movie in the 80s. A new genre. A new-ish genre? Okay. Video game movies. Oh, God in heaven. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, you know what? That's fine. I told you. Okay, you did. I told you. You told no, me. You told me. No good examples of this genre. And I think you're right. The only, <laughs> the only reason it's even a genre is because morons keep saying, yeah, this one will work. Okay. Um, all right. Fine. Okay. Video game movies. Okay. Okay. So, had you chosen B, we would have reviewed that classic. That the, the, They have been trying so hard to make a version of, a movie version of this video game. 
I think there's like nine of them out by now. <laughs> None of them have caught fire, but they keep making them. We would have reviewed the original first Resident Evil. Okay, yeah. But you didn't You didn't pick B. I didn't. Had you chosen Z, we would have watched a movie that people dumped money into, but apparently they never watched the video game. And besides which, this should have been proof of concept that you cannot... You can't do it. There's no way to do it. Why are you doing this? The movie we would have reviewed is Tomb Raider. Okay. But you didn't choose. I didn't. I didn't. Somehow, your psychic instinct for selecting the rottenest apple in a barrel of rotten apples. It's a curse. Has, has paid off once again. It's a curse. The movie that we're going to review next stars Bob Hoskins. Oh, I, I was afraid this was coming. <laughs> And John Leguizamo. And Dennis fucking Hopper. He sure is in it. (laughs) The movie we're going to review next, I'm sure everyone knows, so you can say it with me, (laughs) is Super Mario Brothers. Oh, boy. Yep. So, if you just want to stop listening to the show, go ahead. It's all right. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. But if you want to, I'm not telling you to go watch this fucking movie. I'm probably going to have to send a link for the movie to Steve to find it. Because before I even put it on this list, I'm like, wait, there's no way I'm paying for a DVD for this fucking thing. Because <laughs> you're not going to find it for rent anywhere. Anywhere. <sighs> but if you guys um, hate yourselves as much as Steve and I do, yeah. then please watch Super Mario Brothers before the, ne- the next podcast drops. That way you'll understand. Well, no, I don't think you'll understand why we do it. There's no understanding that way this. You'll, there's there's yeah. no understanding this. There's no wonder. I'm sure there is, but it's just going to make everybody angry. But if you want to, please watch it, and then you can commiserate with me and Steve. Right? Yeah. Because you know what? I, I know how to end a fucking streak, don't you, I, Steve? Oh, boy. This is definitely the way to end a streak. It's like if your your favorite team has won, like, ten games in a row, and then they just get fucking blown out, like, 22 <laughs> to 3 or something. It's like, well, boy, that streak's over, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, that's it. Thanks, guys, for tuning in once again. For Late Seating, this is Jason Harding, and, uh, and see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives, and always remember my motto, be brave, face life. That's it? That's my motto, yeah. Be brave, face life, yeah. That's supposed to stop me from wanting to blow my brains out? Yeah, well, it's, it's to stop you from wanting to jump in the river. Oh, what does he say when it's time for me to blow my brains out? I, they don't have Because the gag demands it. They don't have a title card what? for that, but he does the same gesture, they, so maybe he is also saying, be brave, face life. Oh, and we're to infer that he's saying the same yeah, thing. Yeah, he's repeating himself, because he figures the guy's drunk anyway, he won't remember. Okay, right, and we never know why he wants to commit suicide either. No, his life... Well, he just does. He's getting divorced, so maybe he's bummed about that. Is that what it is? He's getting divorced? Uh, that's the only thing that seems to be going remotely wrong in his life. And he's like, yeah, but he do. he's not like, yay! No, he's like, oh my <laughs> God, I'm rich and I'll never be able to buy another woman, <laughs> right? That's what it is. You can't never gonna pay people find... for companionship, can you? No, he does for he does for the little tramp. He does. You know, the, it's, it's kind of it's the movie about a little tramp who meets his soulmate, who changes his life, and then also later he meets a blind girl. And oh yeah, and then they live in this like thruple. It's a it's a it's a it's a relationship. It's a polyamorous right? triad. Mm-hmm. 
And the great part is, is they can abuse him as much as they want while he's drunk because he won't, he won't remember, remember a single goddamn thing. Exactly. It's perfect. If, if you're like a monster, That's it's right. perfect because you can just, yeah. you know, do whatever you want to him. Steve doesn't know, but I am drunk right now and have been for a very long time. And I do not remember doing this show most of the time. I only remember it when I'm loaded. And so, you know, Steve doesn't, don't let him know. But I mean, I have to get drunk. But I mean, that's okay because we have a great relationship when I'm drunk, right, Steve? Yeah, I think I've only ever spoken to you when you're drunk. That's right, because if you try to text me when I'm sober, I ask, who is this? What are you doing? How do you have my number? I will block you. Stalker. Stalker. Here, I'll just read what I said. Yeah. I think the last one is, do you want the police involved? Yeah. I think it was the last one. You're you're no nonsense. I mean, you're very stern when you're sober. Oh, sure. Yeah. But you just let me drink straight vodka, and I'm much different. Yep. Right, Steve? You're completely different. You're best pals. You're delightful to be around when you're hammered. That's right. And when I'm not hammered, I'm mean yeah. and I'm conservative yeah. and I support Trump <laughs> and I wear my MAGA hat and I'm upset about everything. But, but luckily, I never have to see you like that. No, you don't. But one day. <laughs> one of these I'll days. Like, I'm, looking up, I'm looking at my history. What am I doing every other Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I don't remember every other Sunday for the last nine years. What, what is going on? Do I love church that much? <laughs> Well, not that much. You're only going every other Sunday. Oh, that's true. That's true. Anyway, thanks, everybody. That's all. See, thank you. <laughs> no, don't porky pig you. your way out of this. But it, but it, but it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.